So those of you who have been through Starting Point, our Starting Point class, you'll remember me telling the story of an archer who was shooting into the side of a barn. And on the side of the barn, there were multiple targets on that barn. And there was an arrow like smack dab in the middle of every single bullseye. And so somebody came upon this archer and just saw that. And he was a good distance from this barn. So no matter how good you are, just to to be so precise is just unbelievable. So this guy asks the archer, how is it you're able to shoot right into the dead middle of the bullseye every single time? He says, easy, watch. And he pulls an arrow out and he shoots it in the side of the barn. He runs up to the barn, grabs some paint, paints that bullseye right around that arrow. That's how he does it. So that is what a lot of churches do when they're saying that they're doing the will of God. They they shoot in the general direction of good, right? And wherever it lands, they say that is exactly what God has called us to do. And they paint that bullseye there. So welcome to week two of this series that we're doing that's based on our starting point class. We're calling it Who We Are. And our starting point class in week one uh, last week, in the first session, we, we discussed our mission and our vision. And this week, we're going a little bit deeper into a part of that mission that's vital for us to understand. We call this session in starting point, I'm calling this week, our target and our guide. And I, I have two challenges that I want to say up front to you. It's my disclaimer for any clunkiness for this sermon today. So two difficulties in converting what I usually do in a half-day class into a four-week sermon series. One is the class is cumulative in nature. And so when I've got my students for one day, I know that what I said last week is embedded in your heart as you're listening to this week. So, so that's, that's one difficulty. The second difficulty is the class that we do is typically a, a smaller, more cozy group. And so it's more interactive and participatory. So this week's material is based on session two of Starting Point. And of all the sessions, session two is the most participatory. So I'm telling you this as a, um, as a disclaimer for if my teaching is a little clunky today, because I'm going to be talking you through what in the classroom you would be doing yourself or participating in and we would be interacting over. So last week, like I said, we covered our mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ through loving relationships with God and with others. And we get that. I won't re-preach last week, but from the great commission, from the great commandment, we get that from Jesus. Jesus is our target and our guide. So we might not always hit the bullseye, right? But at least we know the target's right. We're not just shooting where we think and we feel like or tradition says or we inherited or, you know, that just seems like a good idea. We're not painting God's target. We're letting God paint the target. And then we shoot for that. So today I want to go a little bit more in depth on the term up there of making disciples. What does it mean when we say we exist to make disciples? Because if we're going to make disciples, we need to spend some time on understanding what a disciple is. Right? If that's the commission, then what is a disciple? If we're going to become that, and then we're going to help others become that, we want to have a deep understanding 
of what a disciple is. So another story that I tell at, at the beginning of this session in the class, I'm, I'm just saying that because if you've been through recently, you've just heard this story. Uh, but it's a story about uh, that uh, I heard a preacher preach one time. Um, and he heard it from some 19th century philosopher. But anyway, he said there was a man walking on some old, old town uh, township, and he goes by a storefront that has a window, and in the window there's a customer talking to a man, you know, behind his little desk, and there's a sign behind him that says, Pants Pressed Here. And this gentleman looks down at his trousers and much like mine, he probably, he goes, I, I could use my pe- pre- pants press. So he goes inside, he goes to the little side d- room and he takes off his pants and he opens the door with his pants and calls the worker over. And the worker, the customer's gone and he looks at him and with a little bit of confusion, he comes over and he says, yes, sir, can I help you? And he says, yeah, I wanted to get my pants pressed as he, you know, look, head nods over to the sign. And, and the guy raises an eyebrow and then looks at the sign. And he goes, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. We, we don't press pants here. Pre- press pants here. We make signs. <laughs> okay. So, so what that, that story, when I heard it from that preacher, what that uh, inspired me to think of is you might have noticed that outside we have a sign out there, right there where all the traffic goes by. And I think that sign makes a pretty big bold audacious claim it says church of christ so presumably what that means if if that sign is outside of this building that we meet in that if somebody came into the place that puts a sign up like that with that kind of label that they're going to find a people that are of christ right so that Whatever atmosphere Jesus Christ created around him when he walked the earth 2,000 years ago, that should be the atmosphere that they find among a group of people who would put a sign up outside of their meeting place. Whatever heart Jesus Christ embodied when he was here is the heart that these people of Christ should embody. Whatever character that Jesus Christ exhibited as he walked the earth is the character that should be experienced from this group of people as we walk the earth. Whatever mission he was running back then is the mission that you would find among this people that are of him. Whatever attitude he had is the attitude you will find among the people who have a sign like that outside. Whatever mission, whatever character, whatever priority of Christ that he had, that should be the character and priority and mission and heart and attitude of, these, of us. Unless we just make signs. Unless we just make signs. So that made me think of an idea, of one of my million dollar ideas, this one I couldn't actually ever do because it would take omnipotent power because the name of the company would be the omnipotent sign company and i would go around to churches and i would sell them signs if they dared that said church of blank and this omnipotent sign once you put it in front of your church building it will omnipotently and accurately put the word 
that will accurately describe what you'll actually find inside that building with that group of people. So when I'm at starting point, I, I say that, and I, and I ask my crowd. I'm not going to be asked. This is the limitation today. But I, I ask them, what kind of signs would you see in our world if that was the case? If a bunch of churches here in town or in this nation or in this world had these signs. And so based on your experience of churches or your impression of churches or, and even this church, what, what kind of signs would we see? And they say all kinds of things. One, one you know, like, Nice, Church of Nice. That's, that church is so nice. You know, the people are nice, the, the elders are nice, the preacher is nice, all the ministers are it's just so nice. Church of Nice. You know, but then they, they throw out, in, invariably, they throw out a bunch of others. They might say money, Church of Money. Why, when I ask? Well, it just seems like they're always really talking about money and it seems like all they want is your money. Church of Entertainment comes up. Church of Tradition comes up church of the 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 senior pastor comes up all kinds of different things you can imagine they come up and i just after we and so so see we're missing out on this because we get to know each other by talking about that and and sharing about that but we do that and then i i end this little part of the class by saying if 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 there were such a thing as an omnipotent sign and we had the guts to purchase one and put it outside. I would, I would go by that sign all the time. And I would pray. After every sermon, after every teaching, after every class, after every activity, every service project, every coffee that we have, everything that this church does, after every single one, I would just be praying and praying until somehow that sign came up with the word Christ. Because that that he is our target and our guide. Christ is. He is the head of the church. He is who we're after. He is our litmus test. He is who we're pursuing. That's who we want. So let me tell you about an exercise that our leadership, and we actually do this exercise, a little smaller version of this exercise, but years ago, the, the, the elders and the ministers got together at a retreat, and because of this realization that this is our target and guide, this is what the call of the church is, our mission is to make disciples. We need to know what a disciple is, so it sent us into Bible study. We, we started looking at this. And like I said, we usually do this um, in the class, but here, here's how I set it up. So you can do this. You pretend that you've got a brand new baby. That's easier for some of you to pretend than others of us. But let's say you have a brand new baby and, and you realize you have 18 years, okay? 18 years to train up this child to become a mature kid, right? A mature young adult. You have 18 years to, to, to train this child and then launch them off into the world. And so I have everybody work together in pairs if they want to or, or just by themselves. Write down the qualities. What qualities do you want that child to have when you launch them off into the world? So we just do that, and then we combine it on the whiteboard. I know we could probably have 100 million words, but I try to just try to summarize in 8, 10, 12 words or so. And, and so as we do this, we come up with a list. Honest, 
is, is one word that might come up, self-responsible, good steward of money, compassionate, confident, serving, wise, humble, biblically grounded, love for God, love for neighbor, you know, forgiving. Just, it, it, there's, there's more words, but I just wanted you to see this is, this is what that whiteboard might eventually look like. And then I asked, okay, so what advantage does having this list now give you Right? What, what, what advantage does this list give a parent who has 18 years to, to develop these qualities? What, what advantages do, do, does that give us? And of course, people start saying, well, it would help you in what to train. Right? And what to train that child to become. Yes, it, it would help you in discipline. Right? When you're disciplining, it's not just because it ticked you off and so you're mad, so go to your room. No, there's, there's reasons for why we're disciplining our children. It would give us always the answer to the number one question that every kid eventually learns to ask. Why? Why, right? It would give us that answer. I heard of one family after this starting point class, they did this as a family, as a couple. A couple did. And they put it on their refrigerator. (laughs) They literally would take their kid and point to the word of why. You know, answering why. Because we're developing this quality. You could plan things. If you had this list, you could, as this, you could plan age-appropriate activities or put them in scenarios where they can develop in one of these characters, maybe where they're lacking. You could look around at your friends and say, you know, they are particularly good at money, let's say, and invite them into a mentoring relationship with that child to help them grow into that. You, you could take advantage of holy moments along the way. And you would, you would give you, it would give you direction. It would give you a target and a guide. So do you see it? When a physical family can see what they want their child to become, to be that mature kid, this description of a mature kid, we call it, okay? It's easier for that family to know what business it needs to be about in raising that child. In the same way, when a church family can see what a disciple of Jesus is, when they really have an in-depth understanding of what that means to make disciples and what a disciple is, it's much easier for that church family then to know what business it needs to be about in its commission to make disciples. So that Bible study it sent our leadership on. We opened up the Gospels because, remember, a disciple is an imitation right it's an it's some it's an imitation of a teacher or a you know it's someone it's a follower who is following someone to become like their teacher so if jesus is our teacher if he's our rabbi if he's our mentor then we are trying to become like him not just know what he knows but become like him and so we get our description of a discipled person by looking at jesus And so we did that. We went through. And the Hebrew author says this as concisely and powerfully as I've heard it said in Hebrews 12. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the author of our faith. And he's the perfecter of our faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So this set our leadership off. And we were looking for Jesus specifically. We were reading it differently this time. We were looking for what is Jesus like? What is he like? You know, Hebrews also says that he is the fullness, the exact representation of God. So you're studying God when you're studying Jesus. 
It's powerful. And so what's he like? So we came up with this list. This list of this. This was Southwest description of a disciple person. And if we did, this was years ago. If we did this again, we might come up with some different words that are maybe more culturally relevant for us today. That what words you come up with are not necessarily as, as important as the source that you're looking at to get those words, to capture what is a disciple. Back when I was in youth ministry, which is when I learned to do this, okay, uh, me and my coworker, Tuan Moore, we sat down and did this ex- same exact exercise. We were led right through it, and we came up with these words. That a disciple of Jesus is prayerfully dependent, because we saw Jesus was prayerfully dependent. That a disciple of Jesus has uncompromising integrity, because Jesus had that. That they have, they're defined by loving relationships, because Jesus was. Living worship, sacrificial stewardship, a passion for scripture, and an evangelistic persistence. Now, this is three decades ago, so, that, you know, we might use different words, but you see, and we had a cheesy acronym, see it, PULSE, taking our spiritual pulse, you know, we just, so this helped us when we were planning retreats, and we were planning classes, and we were having meetings in our office. We knew what Whatever, whatever they brought to us, we knew what we were trying to lead them to Jesus, to life in Jesus and like Jesus. And so I'm just saying that that was those words for that ministry. These were our words for our ministry. And again, the, the exact words, these, these aren't like the biblical words that you have to use in order to make disciples. It's owning who Jesus is, his heart, his character, his mission, his priorities, that's the goal. And then once you own that, you can then go about the work of making disciples. Once you have that embedded in your heart and in your mind, then a church will start looking at, okay, what kind of classes will we teach? What should we preach through? What should we talk about? What are we after? Because we want to hit the target. Not that's just a, that's a good idea. Let's, let's serve the poor. And that's exactly what we're going to revolve our whole church around. Right? That's a, that's a good thing. But we want to shoot for the target that includes serving the poor, but it's not the central thing. The central thing is Jesus living life in him and like him. And once you see this in Scripture, you see it everywhere. Like, you'll wonder how you missed it. Like, if this is, you're like going, what... I get this every starting point. Why I've gone to church my whole life. Why have I not heard this? Right? Because, because we're busy doing church work. Biblical things instead of the Bible's thing. The thing, which is Jesus. And you'll see it everywhere. I'll just give you a little snapshot. I, I do this for people a lot. Because those first disciples got it. And they wrote it. And we call what they wrote scripture now. So it's in scripture. John, in 1 John 2, 6, I've already referred to this last week. It's my life verse. Whoever claims to live in him must do what the Bible says. No, what it says is walk as Jesus did. That's what the Bible says. John got it. Peter got it in his little letter, 1 Peter 2. He says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow Scripture. No, it's not what it says. This is Scripture. And what Scripture says is follow in his steps. I'll make a point here. Don't be scared. 
So John got it. Peter got it. Paul got it. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the Bible. Nope. He didn't say that. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And Jesus himself said it in John 13. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, why am I contrasting that with following the Bible? Shouldn't that be the same thing? Yes. But oftentimes, for too many churches, it's not. It's not. We use the word biblical. You want to be biblical when we should be, according to the Bible, be saying you want to be Christ-like. And there's a huge difference. It's just a little bit of mission drift that can totally mess up a church and make it about rules and legalism and, and getting things right. And you'll approach Scripture, and we did a whole series on that. You'll approach Scripture differently. You're supposed to be approaching Scripture to find Jesus. This does not diminish the Bible in any way. It puts it, it elevates it to its proper Holy Spirit-inspired place. According to the Bible, the Bible is not the point. It's the authoritative, authoritative Holy Spirit-breathed pointer. To what? To Jesus. We need the Bible. We do want to be people of the book. But if you're a person of the book, you're going to end up a person of Christ. And there's a difference. Jesus is our target and our guide. So let me ask you this. If Southwest wants to make disciples, right? Wants to do this. What would we teach and preach? What would we initiate? What programs would we initiate? What would we ask of each other if our goal is to become, to live life in and like Christ? What would we ask of each other? If you were a new member and you were going to place membership with this church, what would you expect the leadership to expect of you if the goal is the most abundant life available and that's life like Christ? These are the kinds of questions your leadership asks all the time. It's embedded in us. This is how we go about doing what we do. When you ask, why are they doing that? If the answer isn't because it makes disciples, we're doing something wrong. We're mission drift. We have, we have drifted. This is our target. This is our guide. We want to create the kind of environment that if you put a human being in it, they would, they would be in a space that would encourage them to grow in their life, in Christ and like Christ. We want that, and we want that for the whole world because that's our calling. So I hope this explains. Listen, there is so much more to say on this. There's so much more to say, and lucky for you, we did. We did say more about it. And so in the starting point manual, I always give this to everybody. I'm going to give it to you. Do you see this web, this little web address that Craig just put up there? Back when we first were kind of getting our minds and our hearts around this and we were transitioning from, from everything we were doing that's good to God's, hopefully God's thing, and we're still growing in it and we still mission drift, okay? It's a journey for sure. But we marked it for over a year. We preached a sermon series called The Restoration of Discipleship. So some of you, that, that word restoration triggers a movement that we're a part of. The restoration of the church 
is how we've always thought of it. We want to go back a step to restoring the church comes when you restore discipleship. Jesus says, when he's talking to Peter, we talked about this last week. He says, I will build my church. See, that's not our job. We don't build the church. He gave us a commission. He says, I'll build the church. His commission to us, you make disciples. You make disciples. That's your role. You do your role. I'll build my church. Isn't that beautiful? He joins us to that. I mean, he invites us to that. So I encourage you, you don't have to listen to the whole year of sermons. We did a mini series on each of these qualities, but I especially encourage you to go and listen to the first two of this series. The first one was one of our elders, Jerry Morgan, commissioning me to do this study in this, this year-long sermon series. And then the second one is me introducing that sermon series. So if you want more of this, you may not. You may just be going, amen, praise God. This is going to clear things up for me. That's great. But if you need more of that, we preached through more. So here's how I want to finish. First of all, let me just ask our elders and our ministers and their spouses to go ahead and move around the room. You know, we do this every week. It's a little awkward for them, but they do this so that it's not so awkward for you to know who it is that's saying, hey, we love you and we're here for you. So if, you're, if you've got more questions about Jesus or about joining a church or if you want this Jesus in your life and you want to be baptized into Christ, that's what they move around here for, just to let you know. We're here for you. If you just need a touch or a prayer, that's what they're for. But here, here's what I want to say, and I always say this in starting point because I think there's a real danger here when you look at a list like this. These qualities right here, we didn't just take these and make these a checklist, right? We didn't just take these, this, what for some people is a new approach to Scripture. It's an ancient approach, but it's new to some people. We didn't take it and go, aha, okay, I need to look at what Christ is like. I need to pull that out. Then I need to be like Christ in order to get to heaven, right? And everywhere I'm not, where I'm falling short, I need to be afraid. Okay, this isn't a checklist, This is a way of life. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. He he gives you eternal life. You have forgiveness. But he also, in the meantime, wants a bit of that kingdom to break in now. That's why he says, pray, let it be here on earth as it is there in heaven. And so he wants you to ever increasingly grow in kingdom living, in being a kingdom citizen towards, and he modeled for us what that looks like by coming down here and living it out. So this is why we have scripture. It's why it's been saved for us through the generations because in Jesus we have eternal life and life to the full. So these qualities aren't a checklist that you got to get right in order to succeed and get to heaven. We don't become like Christ in order to be forgiven. We become like Christ because we're forgiven. And this, we believe, is the best possible life. That's why we do it. This is so important because the call of Jesus is not a call from the rules of the law to a new set of rules from the New Testament. That's not, that's not anywhere in Scripture. So before we make this a duty rather than a calling, a new set of rules rather than a way. Let me just ask you this to take some of that pressure off. So go back to that little baby, all right? 
It's a big responsibility, right? Just like discipleship. The, the, the target we're after, it's a big responsibility for us as a church to make disciples, right? That's, it's a big job. It's intimidating. No more so than having that baby in 18 years. I've got to launch them off well. So let's say, let's say for these next 18 years, you parent perfectly. I, I heard a couple chuckles. No one will, but let's say you do. That you do it perfectly. You never miss a holy moment. You never discipline out of anger or frustration. You never, you, you, you never accidentally, you know, you, you also live the way you're trying to teach them, right? You, 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 you do everything perfect. Nobody will, but let's say you do. 18 years of perfect. You invite the perfect mentors into their life and it goes beautifully. Everything right as a parent for 18 years. Let me ask, can you then guarantee that your kid will end up being that mature kid? No, you can't. What does that mean? Here's what it means. Everybody, take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and hold it. Ready? Pull it in, really. Okay, let it out. It is not on you. This calling, God takes personal responsibility for pulling people to his son. He just invites you to join him in it. And so, yeah, you won't always get it right. When, when I had my son, give you this for free, when I had my son, Shade, poor kid, was a little mini-me when he was little. And so when he was old enough, I took him down to our inner city church in Houston. I had some good friends that are ministers there. We worked with that inner city church a lot. I wanted to introduce my son. And one of the ministers there, Charlie Middlebrook, a minister there and a mentor of mine, he grabs that kid and he's just, he's just awesome. And he says, Brian, I'm, I'm having some difficulty. And I said, what is it? What, what's wrong? He goes, how a kid can be so cute and still look so much like his daddy. I knew there was a compliment in there and an insult, and I think Shade got the compliment. I got anyway, I, and I but it always stuck with me because I feel like in the church we wonder how is it, how is it that you can have made the mistakes you've made, you can have your past, you can have your spiritual inadequacies and handicaps, and still look so much like Jesus. I'm not really sure how to reconcile it. All I know is Colossians calls it one of the mysteries of the gospel is Christ in you. It's Christ in you. It's not about you trying real hard to be like Jesus. It's about you surrendering more and more and letting Christ in you live for you. That's it. And God takes responsibility for that. It's not on you. How do I know? Jesus said so in John six forty four. He said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. So this work of the church, we don't do it to get to heaven. We can't even do it. He does it. He just invites us to play a part. And he delivers Jesus to us and through us. So if you're ready, if you're ready to join Jesus or this church family, or just, again, if you just need an interpersonal touch, that's what these folks are all here for. Please come. Let's stand and let's just tell God how much we want to be like his son.